Welcome to Gondrepreneur, helping Gondrepreneurs grow and succeed in every sector of the cannabis industry. Gondrepreneur will introduce you to the cannabis pioneers who are paving the way for future generations. Learn about the shifting landscape of the market directly from the experts and get to know some of the leading minds in the industry as they tell their story of struggles and success. Now, CannabisRadio.com presents Gondrepreneur. Hi there, and welcome to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Los. The Gondrepreneur.com podcast gives us an opportunity to speak directly to entrepreneurs, cannabis growers, product developers, and cannabis medicine researchers, all focused on making the most of cannabis normalization. As your host, I do my best to bring you original cannabis industry ideas that will ignite your own entrepreneurial spark and give you actionable information to improve your business strategy and improve your health and the health of cannabis patients everywhere. Today, my guest is Joy Beckerman. Joy Beckerman is president of Hemp Ace International, an industrial hemp consulting and brokerage firm serving domestic and international clients. She is the industrial hemp advisor to the Northwest Farmers Union and sits on multiple advisory panels and boards. She owned the first hemp store in New York in the early 1990s and was appointed to serve as the secretary of the Vermont Hemp Council in 1996. Joy then also developed an extensive career as a compliance and complex civil litigation paralegal, working with some of Seattle's most distinguished attorneys. Joy then also developed an extensive career as a compliance and complex civil litigation paralegal, working with some of Seattle's most distinguished attorneys. Joy is the recipient of the National Hemp Industries Association's 2014 Hemp Activist of the Year Award and works extensively with policymakers. She is an internationally renowned public speaker and conducts continuing legal education seminars for attorneys on industrial hemp-related law and policy. Thanks for being on the show, Joy. Such an honor and a pleasure, Shango. So, Joy, you know, often episodes about hemp focus on the astounding array of products that can be made from hemp. And today's show is going to be a little different, focusing more on the business opportunities that exist within hemp today. That said, it would be important to understand the wide array of the industries that American hemp agriculture are going to impact. So let's start there. Would you give us a snapshot of the variety of industries that are going to be impacted when hemp comes online here in the U.S.? And my, my favorite story to tell, the full spectrum. So we start with the seed because that's where the least amount of infrastructure needs for us to take advantage of that market. We buy 90% of the seeds from Canada. So seed is for nutritional, cosmeceutical, and industrial purposes. And not just fuel because there are other parts, and I'm sure we'll talk about them further on, about fuel from the actual cellulose, but also varnishes and protectants. But from there, we move on to paper, textiles, twine, yarn, cordage, building materials, biocomposites, and now, and this we didn't see coming 25 years ago, nanotechnology and supercapacitors. It is endless. So I've got to hit on the nanotech. In what way does hemp expand to nanotech? Thank you. Well, right now, what we have for the best R&D material and the greatest material that we could use on the market are carbon nanotubes, where we're talking about surface area in strength on a nano level, which is about, I think, to the nine millionth exponential factor, something very, very small. For example, if you wave your hand in front of your face right now, a nanometer is about how much your fingernail grew as you waved your hand in front of your face. So what they have discovered is that 
hemp cellulose is the most valuable biocellulose on the planet and it is second in surface area and strength only to carbon nanotubes. And in terms of supercapacitors, we are finding that it is superior to graphene. And they're even starting to make biomedical nanotechnology sort of fake skins and everything. I mean, we are we are really making huge strides. And that was about in uh, August of 2014 is when that research started to be released publicly. I'm really glad that you mentioned that. You know, I never, I, I really mostly think about the, the the plastics, the fibers, the clothes, and the ropes, but the mm -hmm. high-tech impacts are going to be huge as well. Well, before we can achieve that bright future with hemp, we've got to make hemp a national industry, and that's dependent on the laws changing. So give us a roadmap. What is the legal status of hemp agriculture right now, and, and where are the hotspots of where it seems to be growing in our country? Thank you for asking that. Well, you know, I have to say that the feds have the hemp heroes in the federal legislature, which is very bipartisan, have carved out a path for a truly responsible way for us to reintroduce industrial hemp state by state. And that happened in the Agricultural Act of 2014, which most folks refer to as the Farm Bill. There was an amendment that was included that changed history and changed the landscape for cannabis. And that is Section 7606, which is known as the legitimacy of industrial hemp research. Very simple, plainly written, two-page bill, double-spaced. And in that bill, some very important things happened. One is industrial hemp was defined and distinguished from marijuana for the first time in U.S. history. And it is defined as any part of the plant cannabis sativa, whether growing or not, that contains greater than... 0.3% THC on a dry weight basis. So whereas our definition of marijuana in the Controlled Substances Act does not discuss this earnest, small, non-scientifically based, God help him, he regrets very much having being responsible for this 0.3, but so whereas the definition of marijuana does not include this 0.3, now we have a definition for industrial hemp which does. And a side note, and we're going to bring that up, I'm sure, later on with regard to the market for cannabinoid extraction, non-euphoric cannabinoid extraction from the plant material and, and flowers, essentially, of the hemp plant, it does not have in this definition of industrial hemp a carve-out for the resins, which those of us who have, you know, deeply studied the law and policy from the Marijuana Tax Act through the Controlled Substances Act with regard to that definition of marijuana, we know that even in that second sentence of the definition, which details the exception for the oilseed and fiber variety of cannabis, of course, industrial hemp, there's still an exclusion to the exception in that sentence, and that is for the resins of hemp. Whereas, in this definition of industrial hemp in the Farm Bill, Section 7606, there is no carve-out. That becomes very significant as we begin to talk about what Kentucky and Colorado and Oregon are doing and the hemp truck that they are driving through this gray area, this hole. So are those going to be the states that are we'd consider our hotspots right now would be Kentucky and Colorado? They are on the vanguard of all of this? Yes, and with Oregon close behind. So what I also want to say is that Section 7606 was very clear. You are only states that, quote, permit the cultivation of hemp. That doesn't say legalize. That says that permit the cultivation of hemp 
through the state legislative process will be allowed to take advantage of this. On top of it, once the state legislature permits it, permits the growth of it, they generally in these bills also say that their state departments of agriculture will now form rules because in section 7606 only state departments of agriculture and institutions of higher education are allowed to do these agricultural pilot programs. Now that is another term that's defined in there, quote, agricultural pilot program, unquote. And in that, we are allowed to study the cultivation, the growth, and the marketing of industrial hemp. Now that word marketing included in this research amendment is huge because we are considering that also a big hole to drive a hemp truck through. And we're calling that commerce. We're saying that's a green light. And guess what? The feds are also saying that that's a green light. There are a couple of really important other pieces of federal legislation for me to discuss, but I sense you might have a question before I move on to those. Yeah, you're right about that. So so what I'm seeing is that, that that at the federal level, they've given us the green light. And so now the ball is in the state's courts and Kentucky and Colorado and Oregon were are quick to jump. And I'm assuming that there are a couple other states who are coming up behind. I actually am aware of the, the recent disappointing veto in Washington. There was a bipartisan uh, legislation that had made it through both the House and the Senate and got to Governor Inslee's desk and he vetoed vetoed it kind of in revenge from what I hear for for the, the, the House and the Senate not passing the budget that he's looking for. But I'm already hearing whispers that this this bill is going to be reintroduced and they're gonna they're gonna massage that. So for everybody who's aware of that and concerned about what happened, what's the latest update on the Washington legislation? Well, what's happening in Washington is very interesting because we'll be the 28th state to permit the cultivation of hemp once we get that bill passed, and I'll touch upon that in a second. But to answer your first question, we have 27 technically states that have legalized hemp, only eight that have ever put seeds in the ground because of this oversimplification of what hemp cultivation is. And so bills and policy are not written that will actually allow seeds to go in the ground. Having said that, for sure, Kentucky... Oregon and Colorado are in the forefront. Washington, we've been at it now for three years working on these hemp bills. This year, the WSDA and I decided uh, basically we were going to get together, get a united front and double team the legislators because we've had competing bills each year, both in party and house. And that has in itself been a problem within the legislature. So this year, we, with some of the new laws that have passed, particularly seven, section 763 of the Consolidated Appropriations Act, which we'll talk about in a little bit, we knew for Washington that we were going to make our bill uh, uh, incompliant with section 7606 because now we have a lot of additional protections. So having said that, we will, right now, the governor, as you say, has indeed punished the legislature for not doing the one thing that the governor believes the legislature should have done this year. So he punished them by taking 37 of the bills that they basically worked hardest to agree on the most and 27 of them he vetoed, which we do believe is the largest batch that was ever vetoed in the Washington state legislature. 10 he didn't because they had to do with, with health and safety. Lucky for us, it is the Senate majority leader who needs to reopen that vote. And it is the Senate majority leader, Senate Mark Schessler, who is a co-sponsor of the Senate bill for 
for industrial hemp. So we believe that he's going to reintroduce that. That's certainly really uh, convenient, right? Because so often when something gets vetoed, you have to go back to square one and, and try to convince someone to reintroduce it. But the fact that it's actually the sponsor really makes your job that much easier. You know, we need to take a short break for a moment, Joy. We'll be right back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. After a short message from the sponsors who made this show possible, Gontrepreneur will return. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Mention the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on cannabisradio.com. And don't try to debate me on something. Motherfucker, I can't do many things well, but words are my shit. The Stoner Jesus Show, live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand at CannabisRadio.com and StonerJesus.net. Peace, bitches. We're back to help Gondrepreneurs grow. You're listening to Gondrepreneur only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, Shango Lose, and our guest this week is Joy Beckerman, president of Hemp Ace International. So, Joy, right before the break, you had mentioned a recent federal bill that included additional protections and how those were going to move us forward so quickly. Will you go ahead and break that out? Thank you. So each year, our federal government, even though they haven't passed a balanced budget in 14 years, they do pass a consolidated appropriations budget because things do have to move forward annually. This year, we had some additional protections. I'm sure we can thank the state of Kentucky, which has moved forward with true uh, high CBD, low THC varieties of cannabis that fit a legal definition of industrial hemp, but are being grown specifically for non-euphoric cannabinoids. And of course, the property mostly being targeted, as you can imagine, is cannabidiol CBD. So they really had to protect themselves. They knew they could take advantage of the fact that this new industrial hemp definition did not include resins. But meanwhile, they do know that the resins are still included in the Controlled Substances Act as a Schedule One controlled substance. So in this Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2016, buried within Section 763, it says the Department of Justice and the Drug Enforcement Administration may not use funds to, one, 
in contravention of Section 7606 of the Agricultural Act of 2014. And by the way, that language existed in this bill from last year. So that's not new. We had that language last year that it said in contravention of Section 7606. But that wasn't very clear, was it? So they added language that was adopted and became the law of the land on December 18th of, of 15. And it now also says, or two to prohibit the cultivation, transportation, processing, or sale of industrial hemp that is cultivated in compliance with section subsection 7606 of the Ag Act of 2014, and get this, within or outside of the state in which it is grown. It is only because I know I'm on radio that I'm not yelling and crescendoing my voice as I say that because this is huge, you guys. This is historical that we are now the feds, our heroes, our federal legislative hemp heroes have now created this research pathway, which by the way is responsible because we don't have cultivars here in America that will serve immediate needs. We have to reach outside of our borders to get pedigreed seed from the 31 developed countries that have these beautiful varieties that are meeting sophisticated demands of today's global markets for these many industries that I just discussed. And we have got to be able to, to access those seeds. So and as we access them and plant them in these research crops, some of them are failing. And what we don't want is large-scale commercial farming right out of the gate for hemp where we have crops that fail because the naysayers will say, oh, the, they said hemp was going to save the world. They said hemp would grow everywhere, which it doesn't, by the way, not without irrigation and other inputs. But the point is we've got to have success. So the fact that we get to reintroduce under-research really helps us learn and not have this horrible judgment when as we learn and crops may fail along the way as we test cultivars. So having said that, this new language that protects the transportation and the processing and the sale beyond state lines is more of a giant hole for Kentucky, for Colorado, for Oregon, and hopefully for Washington. And I'm going to give you a bit of the I don't want to say bad news, but obstacle that we're facing in Washington, even when we pass our bill with regard to this cannabinoid extraction market, because the reality is that even in Canada, where they have legalized since 1998, they are mostly growing only for seed. And Shango, that's because it's expensive to create an infrastructure to process that long, tall, strong, hard fiber, the stock. So in Canada, again, since 1998, for the most part, they actually plow their fiber back into the ground. Matter of fact, wow. and we buy, yes, we buy 90% of their seeds. So what we have to do as we look at the business opportunities that are immediately open to us and then that we can grow into are one, the seed nutrition, because we have combines. Most states already have seed crushing facilities and meal facilities. And by that, I mean, we take the meal, that the seed cake that's left over from pressing any seed generally, and that is dried and then sifted and ground into various powders. That's where we get hemp protein powder from. It's not ground up seeds. That would make a nut butter. It's the ground up and milled 
seed cake left over from the seed industry. So anyway, we have those infrastructures in most states. The only thing we're missing in most states are de-hulling mechanics. And that is the de-hulling takes the shell of the hemp seed and separates it from that beautiful, nutrient-dense, protein-filled heart. And of course, it is the highest form of protein and the highest digestible form of protein and the highest essential fatty acid profile in the entire planet animal kingdom. That's your immediate market. Second immediate market, and this is why these protections in the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2016 are so significant, are non-euphoric cannabinoid extraction. So to the extent that industrial hemp can be ethically grown for human consumption and for a, a therapeutic and medical market, and there are high standards and ethics that go along with that, of course you would understand, that we then can just use extraction technology, which is not nearly as expensive as the infrastructure to decorticate the fiber. And right now, the Kentucky Department of Agriculture is valuing that crop at $10,000 an acre. I work very closely with the Washington State Department of Agriculture, and of course, I have brought the Kentucky Department of Agriculture into our meetings so that our we can educate our own state on the incredible opportunities that Kentucky is taking advantage of, and they are taking advantage of non-euphoric cannabinoids. And when they say $10,000 an acre, I'm saying even if they're wrong by 10 times, let's go $1,000 an acre, it's $80 an acre for hay, and about yeah, that's still an incredible. That's still an incredible return. It's huge, and it would generate the revenue that we need to build the infrastructure for these decorticating facilities and processing facilities for the stock, which is where we're going to be getting our paper, textiles, twine, yarn, building materials, our biocomposites, nanotechnology, and supercapacitors. Brother, that is all going to come from the stock, but we have to build the infrastructure. And I do want to say, because this is very important to the entrepreneurs out there, that it isn't just the old school decorticating facilities which separate the bast fiber, which is the bark or the long fibrous outside of the stem, from that inner woody core which we call the shiv or the herd. So a basic decorticating facility is going to separate the bast from the herd, but what we see in modern day is then they take it that much further. Then they're processing the herd to different geometric particle sizes to serve different purposes, whether it's as a bio aggregate for say hempcrete building material or whether it's be used for animal bedding or a plywood made with hemp type thing. Having said that, this is very important for the entrepreneurs out there. There is a technology that has been patented by a company called Pure Vision Technology based out of Fort Lupton, Colorado. This is Dr. Winger and the Lurberger brothers, Ed Lurberger. They have a patented technology that's fractionalization and it separates the stock into cellulose, linens, and sugars. And from those three elements, we can make thousands of industrial products. And it, it applies to many applications, including methane fuel. Now, they have created a secondary company called Pure Hemp Technology, LLC. This is the licensing arm that licenses the Pure Vision fractionalization technology. And they even have a new testing facility going up in southern Oregon. 
and I'll wrap this up for you, but to tell you that what we ultimately need to see around this great country are processing facilities within 50 miles of every biomass feedstock, whether they're the fractionalization, decortication, or dehulling and seed pressing and seed cake milling. But those are the main mechanics that we want to see. And then, of course, we need to go into textiles, which China is way ahead of us. And right now, only three paper companies in America that could process hemp fiber. So all of those infrastructures need to be built. But we're talking immediately seeds and non-euphoric cannabinoids. Well, that's a pretty great picture and a timeline that we've built there. You know, first we've got the feds giving the green light. Then we've got the uh, rules being made at the state level. Then we're moving into seed nutrition and non-euphoric CBD, which is going to cause the capital to exist in the industry to start building these decorticators 50 miles from where the farms are. There's a lot of opportunity for money to be made and for this to all happen very swiftly, it sounds like. We need to take another short break. We'll be right back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. After a short message from the sponsors who made this show possible, Gonjapreneur will return. Gonjapreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gonjapreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gonjapreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. And I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Dr. Kevin Hill. You can't ignore the fact that, like alcohol, most people who use don't have a problem. So I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. We're back to help Gondrepreneurs grow. You're listening to Gondrepreneur, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back. You are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Lose, and our guest this week is Joy Beckerman, president of Hemp Ace International. So, so far on the show, we have had a whirlwind timeline of what's going on in hemp right now, from the federal government giving the green light, the states making its rules, and now all of the capitalists getting to their particular roles to make this all happen and raise the money to be able to start building these decorticators. 
At the same time, the medical cannabis and recreational cannabis industry is also uh, on the rise in our country. And you know, Joy, one of the things that I hear most is a spastic concern of people that industrial hemp is going to come online outdoors and cross-pollinate into the recreational and medical cannabis outdoor crops. And you know, we're big fans on this show of outdoor growing of marijuana because of the decreased carbon footprint from indoors. But everybody's got an opinion about whether or not there's going to be cross-pollination or not. I figure you have probably got some fact. So boil it down for us. Are we going to see an issue with industrial hemp cross-pollinating into recreational cannabis? Thank you for asking this really important question, which I can only preface by saying it is a shared concern. You must know, of course, that we will easily convert our industrial hemp farmers into interstate and international drug farmers if, God forbid, their hemp should creep up over 0.3% THC. So it is just as much of a concern of marijuana cross-pollinating with the industrial hemp as it is in the reverse. So I just always want to preface by saying that. So the reality is that it is distance only that I see the state of Washington using in terms of a barrier between cross-pollination because ultimately we know that bees travel about three miles from their hive and even though it's true and this is where the hysteria comes from well there are two pieces actually it's true that there have been studies out there that say oh my goodness pollen can travel 2,000 miles you know from one continent to another and we have proof of that well it's a small planet this little blue marble that we all share together. So that's not how we deal with agriculture. It's actually a fairly common concern with very common solutions. So and those solutions would be A, distance, B, not planting at the same time as many field corn and sweet corn folks do. As a matter of fact, there's a licensed hemp farmer in Oregon who is also a corn farmer and he has a neighbor who plants corn and his neighbor plants GMO corn and he plants non-GMO corn so they don't plant at the same time. Having said that, for industrial hemp, AOSCA, which is the Association of Official Seed Certifying Agencies, for the first time, this is the seed certifying agency that most developed countries uh, subscribe to. China does not, which is why we don't normally get human consumption items from China. They have developed, as Canada has, a way to keep even cultivars, because there are hundreds of cultivars and varieties of industrial hemp from cross-pollinating by distance. So, And with just different types of industrial hemp, it can go from one foot to three miles to avoid cross-pollination. So if I'm a betting woman, I would say that the WSDA is simply going to use a distance of a maximum of three miles, keeping in mind that it does just so happen that our own seed certification gentleman from our WSDA is also just so happens to sit on that international subcommittee for a Oscar, so has been particularly sophisticated in learning about industrial hemp from the last couple of years due to his position on that international subcommittee. And that has been very beneficial to us. Now, do we want to absolutely respect our outdoor growers? I want you to know I am a first line of defense in our own state legislature in Washington. 
And I want you to know, by the way, just a side note, that in Washington, in our current bill, once it is passed, we're not going to be allowed to p collect plant material for non-cannabinoid extraction. And I realize I've, I digress a little bit, but before the show ends, I do want everyone to know that that has been written out of our bill. We're only going to be allowed to use seeds and not plant material. So we will not be taking advantage of that great financial opportunity. And there are reasons for that that perhaps I'll go into in another show. And it has to do with testing standards, WSDA's testing standards versus our liquor and cannabis board and the WSDA standards are much higher. In any event, moving back to cross-pollination, so I'm a first line of defense because there are legislators that are in these agricultural parts of our of our state that are so pro-hemp that they want to pass a law to make all of the marijuana go indoors. And I sit there and say, oh, you know not what you say, please. That would be an environmental catastrophe. Number one, we cannot have all of our marijuana go indoors and we need to continue to increase the canopy, I think, of our legal marijuana market. So while I am definitely a proponent of using distance I also recognize that there are parts of our state where there are a particular amount of sun-grown marijuana. And it is potential that in those parts of our states, perhaps we should make those regional and put barriers around those and say, you know what, we're not going to allow hemp farming in these particular regions. An interesting thing in Oregon, the Oregon Hemp Industries Association has put a voluntary moratorium. I don't think that I I would be able to do that in Washington. I am an industry leader here and a trade association leader here, but I don't like going up against farmers and legislators in that manner or telling hemp farmers that I what I think they should do versus what the Department of Agriculture is telling them to do. Having said that, I will probably take on the same tact of discouraging large-scale commercial hemp farming around certain areas of the state to the extent that it's not law. So the, distilling it down, the short answer is yes. There's going to be cross-pollination. There's going to be cross-pollination from, from hemp to people's personal grows. There's going to be cross-pollination from gorilla grows over to hemp. There's going to be cross-pollination between hemp and legal grows that it's going to have to be worked out either by when they are each planted or distance. So this is, you know, on a botany level, this is going to be a to real problem. You. No, I have to correct you. It's absolutely not going to be a real problem. And everything that you said, much as I love you, has actually just contributed to the hysteria. So I did a bad job explaining. So as much as we want in, un to in under 20 seconds, do you think you can clean that up? Yes. And we're going to start out with those distances so that we can collect hard data to disprove the hysteria that exists. Pollen from industrial hemp is large. It would take tremendous climatic and wind factors in order for it to travel any significant distance at all. And so we want to start out by making everybody feel comfortable. We are going to learn to thrive and prosper together, cousins and sisters and brothers in cannabis. And we want to start out by making everybody comfortable with these distances and collect the hard data so that we can disprove the hysteria and close up those distance gaps. That's what I'm saying. Right on. Well, thank you for re-clarifying that because I definitely uh, didn't get the right gist. And that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for being on the show, Joy. It's such an honor and a pleasure. Thank you, Shango, for everything you do for cannabis every day. You can connect with Joy Beckerman at Hemp 
ace.com. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur podcast in the podcast section at gontrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the gontrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news, product reviews, and cannabis jobs updated daily, along with transcriptions of this podcast. You can also download the gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. You can now also find the show on iHeartRadio Network app, bringing Gontrepreneur to 60 million mobile devices. Do you have a company that wants to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email grow at gontrepreneur.com to find out how. Thanks to Brasco for producing our show. I'm your host, Shango Los. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.